You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. See that? Hell just got a rumor. Something's up. Up where? Um, up. Up. The Archangel Gabriel has disappeared. I think he's gone to Earth. Hello, hello, hello. Good morning, officer. Exactly. I'm a human police officer. You spotted Gabriel? He's definitely not in the shop. It's just a zero fail. The traitor. <sighs> And his grumpy friend, Mr. Crowley. The demon. Oh, I suppose that explains the grumpiness. Crowley, there's something urgent that I need to talk to you about. Oh, and of course, his assistant. Hi there. Ah, Gabriel! What's he doing here? I don't know. What's happened to him? I don't know. Why did you come to my shop? You know what it's like when you don't know anything at all, and yet you're totally certain that everything would be better if you were just near one particular person? No, well, certainly not. He's in trouble. We need to hide him from everybody, heaven, hell. We do it together. Together? While we figure out what's actually going on. I think... I may have just started a war. Oh, hell won't like that. You're a demon! I'm going to get into so much trouble. Well then, let's make it worthwhile. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. That's right, folks, we're back. And we got a great one for you tonight. We are looking at Neil Gaiman's Good Omens 2. That's right. Yay! We have been excited for this one. We really, really have been excited. Uh, Mary and I did a panel at Concaster Burris over probably back in June. God, it feels like it was months ago. It was like ages ago. I know. And we did a Good Omens panel, and we were all talking about it at the panel, how excited we were for this. And it's an original story, so it's interesting compared to the first season, which was based completely on the book that we had. And what we had with it is just really awesome what we got new characters we got some familiar characters and some interesting twists and we're going to talk all about it uh of course if you're watching this and you have not seen good omens 2 yet it's on amazon folks go ahead and watch it because you will be spoiled we are going to be talking all about this we got a great crew to talk about this tonight of course mr howdy himself mr mike gordon is here howdy ready for this one sir i am it's gonna be a lot of fun to talk about and returning of course i couldn't do this this is my partner at you know concaster burris for the panel mary ogle is here hi everybody i'm so excited to talk about this this is gonna be an awesome one and returning to the show after over four years drew myers back please call me jim i'm a bookseller yes Hi, Jim. <laughs> he could be Gabriel. No, <laughs> never know. Who's that person? You go back into the store. It was, there's so much fun with this season. It's going to be a lot of fun. And folks, we definitely would love to hear from you guys. Feedback at our station one is the, com is the best way to get in touch with us. So please, please, definitely, if you want to leave feedback for it, or as we always like to say, like and subscribe our, to our show if you get a chance. And up on YouTube, you can ring the little bell because you know what? That's how you find out we put out new episodes every week. Pretty awesome. And we got a lot of great stuff coming your way. So why not subscribe? Tell your friends and neighbors so they can tell someone and they can tell someone and, you know, so on and so forth. All right, Mr. Mike, ready to jump in with both feet on this one? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Um, uh, we got word that there was going to be a second series and we got word for that. That was announced in June of 2021 after the pretty good success of the first series, which we thought was just going to be a limited series, uh, an adaptation of the book. 
by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett. Um, I'm going to start with you, Drew. Um, when you heard that, well, first of all, how did you feel about the first miniseries uh, or series uh, that would that adapted the book of Good Omens? I really enjoyed it. Um, we watched it as soon as it came out. I was a huge fan of the book. You know, I, I read it the year it came out. It was an annual event for me for probably about the 10, first 10 years that it was out. Um, loved the series. And we were really excited to see uh, series two. In fact, leading up to series two, we watched all of series one to remind ourselves. And uh, nice. yeah. Was there any sort of concern? Because, you know, since Terry Pratchett's no longer with us, um, you know, that it would be, you know, it wouldn't have that same magic. I wouldn't say concern. There was a curiosity just to see what they did. You know, anytime mm -hmm. you you are starting a project that was not designed to have a sequel and <laughs> you create it, you know, it, it's always interesting. But for me, uh, the thing that's really important is if you don't like the adaptation of it, it's fine. You always have the original. So even if I didn't like the second season, I would still have the first season, which I loved, and the book, which I loved. So I, I wasn't concerned. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, Mary, how about you? Would you, uh, were you, uh, concerned that it would be difficult to follow up in Armageddon? <laughs> not, not really, because one, Neil Gaiman is, is so, uh, involved in this production. And he has said that he based, um, the second, and actually, if we have one, the third series on notes and, um, stories that he and Terry had already come up with. I mean, I'm not saying he didn't add anything. But he definitely had had the core of the the idea there already. So I trusted in in Neil Gaiman, and I I think they really delivered. Yeah, and I think uh, credit has to go to uh, John Finmore too for um, kind of stepping in and and being the writing partner with Gaiman on this. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't yeah I I don't know to be honest with you. I'm not really sure about Finmore's Edinburgh. But uh, based on this alone, I'm curious. And and Douglas McKinnon, who was uh, co-show running and directing, mm -hmm. also, I think, was a big factor in, in its success. Mike, what about you? Did you did you feel like they were uh, sort of milking it or did you feel like there was still room for more? Oh, it definitely felt like there was still room for it. There's a whole world they haven't explored. And, you know, I love the characters enough from the book. And then from, of course, the TV series, you know, played brilliantly by Michael Sheen and David Tennant, you know, it was believable because the chemistry between the two of them, you know, I could watch them, you know, reading the phone book or just sitting talking on the telephone. And in some cases you have actually, <laughs> and that's the great thing with this. And you have two people who genuinely like each other and genuinely respect each other. And it shows. It really, really shows. And it carries into the second season. And I trust Neil Gaiman enough to, if he's going to take a very firm hand with the series, kind of like what he did with Sandman. And, you know, and I liked it that much, you know, was I worried because what they did with, you know, with American Gods, because that went on way, way too long and went way off course. This, I didn't feel like it. I felt like this was a proper continuation from the first one. And I'm looking forward to talking all about it. Yeah. And I think we found out, too, that if Neil's personally involved in things, they it is a good thing. <laughs> yeah, yes, it makes a difference. Because uh, I know American Gods, he was not. Uh, certainly in our conversations on Earth Station Who about his work with Doctor Who, when he's more involved, it's uh, it's all the better for it. And and with this one, uh, you know, and and like like Sandman, I mean, he was involved very much in that as well. So. Uh, I think it it really does at least give fans of that work, of his work, something to look forward to because they don't feel like it's being, you know, sort of dumbed down or, uh, you know, it's a, it's a weaker product because of it. Um, so, and yeah, like you guys, I was uh, eager to see what would happen, uh, you know, in, in Game and We Trust. 
uh, that sort of thing, uh, especially when he's involved. And, you know, Tennant and Sheen are the, you know, the odd couple of heaven and hell. Like they are just like, like, I mean, give me more, give me more. As you said, Mike, I could watch them read the phone book together. Uh, I've often thought, I think last time when we talked about the series, I mean, I would love to see them because we know that they're perfectly capable of like switching roles. Like it would be really fun to see them like just switch the roles because we know that each one is capable of it. Maybe there'll be an opportunity at some point because, uh, yeah, I do think there is an opening. Obviously, at the way this ends, we are going to talk about spoilers, as Mike said. Um, there is room for a third season. It, I don't think there's been announced that there is going to be one yet. So I guess we'll see um, reviews on this one so far have been pretty positive. Uh, I don't know how well it's doing, you know, ratings wise and all that kind of stuff. But then again, all those streaming numbers, you know, they play them close to the vest. Um, so, and of course, we're not getting anything real soon because, you know, every nothing's, nothing's uh, right. happening right now. So <laughs> speaking of like, you know, odd streaming numbers, that kind Especially of thing. Before right? he said that, you know, Neil had started writing it and the strike hit and he's honoring the strike. Absolutely. But he should. He should. As well. Um, yeah, there's been no announcement. No. But he has so, said he'll he would release a novel if if of it if there is not a third season. Exactly. And it's really That's cool. It's really interesting. I guess maybe it's because it's the second season and maybe it's surprising no one or whatever, but I'm kind of surprised that there's not a lot of blowback on this one because man, it it doesn't uh it doesn't shy away from uh, you know, uh satiring or all in all, just, you know, having a lot of fun and like serious question, questioning like some sort of religious faith as well. Right. I mean, there's like there's a lot to unpack in this series alone, just like there was in the first one. So I'm glad to see that, you know, the second season, they didn't they if anything, they sharpened their teeth. I felt like um, not just uh, not just gave us like some we, we could have just had them in the bookstore hanging out. Right. But no, this has got some actual teeth to it. So. Um, Drew, we'll go back to you. What's something about the series that really resonated with you? Again, it's the relationship between both Tennant and Sheen. I mean, I, I really should say, you know, Crowley and Aziraphale, but uh, <laughs> that friendship and blossoming friendship more than anything else. It's um, is, I, I think the reason we all come back to it, uh, but the inclusion of John Hamm as Gabriel was a really interesting, I don't want to call it a third wheel, but like just kind of adding to that dynamic. It, it really gave us uh, a look into what they would be like as parents mm. uh, raising a child. And which I think is what we are more, kind of likely to see it if there is a third season so um i really like that because i think ham's comedy chops are uh great uh fletch which came out i guess last year uh or earlier this year was really good you can see it he just kind of leans into it again like appearances in 30 rock all, all that being said um i thought it was a really fun added extra to to those uh, their dynamic absolutely Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it, you know, I'm going to praise him again, but Tennant and Sheen are so good. I mean, I've seen Sheen play seriously evil bad guys before. And the fact that he is the exact opposite here, convincingly so, um, astounds me. I forget everything else he's done. And when I see Crawley, I don't think of the 10th Doctor. I don't think of... Uh, the only other David Tennant role that I can think of, because he's got the same swagger, is when uh, the role he played in uh, this the uh, uh, remake of Fright Night, because he kind of has that same sort of like that's true, yeah, yes. has this very yes. like sort of swagger to him. And uh, although it's it's here, it's it's amplified. Oh, yeah. uh, I mean, it's a hundred percent Bill Nye. I mean, he's just watched Bill Nye <laughs> mainly from Love Actually, and it's just step by step the way he holds his jaw the way he walks the way he holds his belt i mean that is even the way that's he it. points at something like it's bill nye completely absolutely really, i hadn't really thought well. about that yeah he's totally lifted it uh but i mean he's so good and so again so believable um uh so yeah i definitely agree that this is this is their series 
Um, and yeah, John Hamm makes an interesting uh, reappearance here. And I think, uh, yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about that, I'm sure. Uh, Mary, what's something else about the the show that resonated with you this season? Well, I mean, the most important thing was just, you know, the L... <laughs> LGBTQIA plus. Wait, wait. Is it, that, is it that time? Are we doing one of those episodes already? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just kidding. I always just abbreviate it to queer. I call myself queer because uh, it gets ridiculous. But just seeing, uh, you know, hoping they would go there and they went there and um, and often they don't. And so that was really nice. Nice to see. I didn't need it to end. You know, it, it was OK with me that it ended messily. You know, as long as as it became clear that that relationship was important and also, you know, seeing the relationship between um, the blossoming relationship between the lesbian couple, uh, which was not, you know, an easy thing because there were complications with another partner being there. And I felt I felt they they did that very sensitively and very realistically. And um, and, and it was a joy to see that represented on screen. I really enjoyed that. Now, do you feel that that was uh, that their relationship, their budding relationship was apparent in the first season and to see it here, it just connects with it? Or do you think it? Well, they're different characters on the second season. Yeah, they're not attached. They're not representing the same people they did in the first. No, they weren't in the season. first season. Mike. I'm well, sorry. They, I'm they... talking about Crawley and Aziraphale. Oh, that's, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about the lesbian. But both yeah. actors were in the first season. They just played different characters. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what, if, no, what you're talking yeah, about Nina. About, uh, I mean, if you're talking about Aziraphale and Crowley, then it's, yes. I think it's yes, heavily implied. Oh yeah, it's <laughs> like, been implied like, the whole time. I mean, yeah. not, not not necessarily that that they realize it because they're not humans, right? <laughs> and so for them, it, it's a big struggle. Uh, you know, coming to terms with that, but I, but also that may, just makes it more interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. Right. And literally, from the very first scene in the in the first episode, when you first see them at the Garden of Eden, the way they're looking at each other and the smiling and the connection building right there, you could tell there's a spark between the two of them. Right. Well, and then in the second one, you find out they had history even before. Oh yeah, the when garden, he was an angel. Which I, yes. So I thought that was interesting too. I think it I think one thing about this this second series is that it is interesting to me because it really throws in the face that especially on the heaven side that for um you know all the representatives of heaven it, it's amazingly it's amazing to me like how how little they know about love mm-hmm. and how little they understand love and rec- can recognize love they don't even realize how it works really um, and I, and I, and I thought that was an interesting take this, this second season, because it seems like it was, it was pretty much present in every episode, um, with, uh, a lot of the representatives, you know, especially like, you know, with, uh, Muriel saying, don't you know, it takes a couple days or take cups, takes a couple weeks, <laughs> you know, like, or whatever <laughs> to manifest. Uh, but, uh, and they're like, oh yeah, sure. We know that. We know that. Of course. We yeah. Know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they know everything. Uh-huh. Yeah, sure. Uh-huh. So, uh, Mike, what about you? What's something else that resonated with you this season? Well, the relationship building throughout with multiple different characters. But for me, John Hamm made it, you know, really enjoyable. He was the nice little wrench in it. Because at first you were like thinking, okay, what's Gabriel trying? What is he trying to do? Is he faking this? And it was really well done, you know, him showing up. And the nods that they did throughout to Doctor Who in this season was just amazing. You know, you had, you know, everything from Jim's outfit with which was Sylvester McCoy's, you know, with the sweater and even the shirt with the uh, question marks on it. And, you know, it was just to the fez, you know, it was just or the fly that was bigger on the inside you know come on mm-hmm. folks you know the 1965 yes. doctor who annual exactly <laughs> there wasn't a doctor who annual in 1965 ah of course I as Susie says that you could hear the music playing in the background oh, of course <laughs> which was just awesome and but yeah it's interesting and some of it for me 
it was not, you know, as it didn't feel as special to me as the first season because the first season was seeing the book come to life. This was all new material and everything. And it kind of lost a little bit for the second season. There was something quirky and crazy with all the different characters. You had the whole Antichrist. You had the whole thing with the witch. And you had the witch finders. And you had then heaven and hell and the demons and everything in the first season. This one, it was just, it almost felt like, okay, let's see what Crawley and Ezekiel can, you know, pull over their eyes, you know, the whole time. It was almost like, it almost felt like a little more like a caperish type thing. And yeah, not near as big as stakes. No, exactly. Exactly. So for me, it, it, what it didn't feel as special this season. I still loved every second of it and I will watch it over and over again, but I won't, I don't consider it the masterpiece that season one was. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Can I jump into something that you just said sure. uh, yeah, about the, about the stakes? Um, agreed. You know, the end of the world seems to be pretty important uh, for, for all of us on it. Um, but uh, love is a bigger stake than I think the show makes it out to be. And again, if they have a third season, I think what we're really seeing is heaven and hell moving away from definites and kind of moving into gray areas. And they argue about the colors of gray, right? Super white or super, super dark. But we're looking at um, agents of heaven and hell who are supposed to be celestial beings, infernal and celestial beings who are more human than human, who are essentially kind of a part of the ineffable plan maybe or maybe not but those stakes are huge you know because it's clear when you look at season one and season two in season two heaven and hell are lost they're completely lost they don't know what to do with themselves because they were all moving towards a single goal for the longest time when that gets destroyed and you know in season one they don't know what to do but try it again and it's love that eventually stops that from happening. It's love that is going to, again, if we get a third season, move that, progress that story forward. So, yeah, it doesn't feel like this, the stakes are as big, but it's very clear that it is a part of a larger message which will become more apparent later on. And I'm not trying to say I know what's going to happen in the third season. I'm just saying that it feels very much like the ineffable plan is moving heaven and hell away from the dogmatic impractical impersonal bland business-like or dark dank uh kind of impersonal aspect that hell is to something more human and and i think that's part of the charm of the show and it's just why you have characters like crowley and aziraphale are so nice because they are breaking the mold and being around humans kind of changes them as well. So oh, it, it simply they've changed their characters of being around right. them for thousands and thousands of years. Yeah. You know, they've got to experience life where in heaven, it's like a giant corporate office, very right. cold and very impersonal. And hell is like going to a couple different nightclubs I've been to growing up. So. <laughs> <laughs> wow. This must have been great clubs. Oh yeah. Well, they're the worst aspects of humanity, right? Like they're the the pettiness, like heaven is petty and hell is petty as well. You know, what they don't have is love. And that, if you're going to change, is it, love and compassion are the things that both sides equally need. And that's the important part, right? Like they're equally bereft of love. Well, exactly. yeah, and they even showed that in the first, in the end of the last episode. With uh, Beelzebub and, of course, Jim. So, <laughs> you know, them building their relationship. And they realized that they had more in common and that they actually liked being around each other and everything. So, yeah, when, once all the, once everything else, everything they'd been taught and grew up with sort of, you know, fell away, they discovered that, hey, we actually have some things in common. Mm hmm. You know, I mean, I think Good Omens is just kind of the the old philosophical argument between predestination and 
I was going to say existentialism, but at this point, maybe it's chaos theory, <laughs> because, uh, you know, I think I think what they're satirizing is is, is the rigidity. And as Drew was saying, um, um, how religion is so dogmatic and set on on a certain course and never deviates. And if you deviate one inch, well, then there's something wrong with you and you're not part of that religion. And how can you not understand this is where we're supposed to be going? You can't do that. You can't go there. And but that's not that's not life. That's not how life works. And I think think their whole point was the reason that 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 in this world God created humanity was because they recognize that and they're like, oh no, this isn't what the universe is. The universe is messy. And this is how I show you that, and this is how you learn that. Absolutely. And 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 yeah, it does seem more of a uh, abiding look at fundamentalism, especially when it comes to heaven and and the fact that they are, I mean, they are still like, they're right on board, you know, oh, didn't work for the first Armageddon, then we're going to have to, let's, let's, let's do another one. We need let's, another one. <laughs> yeah, we need another one. Um, and it takes, you know, Gabriel to be like, mm, I don't think so. Um, yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and I, uh. I think that, uh, cause yeah, cause unbeknownst to anybody else, he's been secretly meeting with, uh, Beelzebub and, uh, uh, I think their relationship is cute. I just don't know, like the flies that would have, I, I don't, I couldn't do that. Apparently <laughs> flies are very sexy. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The flies, I couldn't, I couldn't, I just couldn't. Can I post a, uh, post a question to the of three? Of course. All right. So we had a actor change between season one and season two for Beelzebub. We did. Correct. Which they mentioned every episode. Yes. <laughs> right. Which I think is I think is important that they draw attention to the fact, but I think the cuteness of the new Beelzebub is part of like the. I, I'm just wondering if it still would have worked had we had the original actor in that in that part. For me, when they change it to make a love story, that didn't work for me um, because I was constantly reminded. Like they're constantly reminding they've changed, but then when you find out why, it's kind of like, oh, did they not think that relationship was going to work? I mean, it might be contractual. I could be completely off base. Yeah, but it it feels like a um producer going, uh, no one's going to believe that John Han is going to uh fall for this first season one actor. Uh, Actually, I think we should uh, change them. Well, it's, is it's it... been now. I can't you know prove that this is true, but supposedly the actor was not available. Right. I had, okay. and they had, and it, I had and read they about had that. They had to be recast. She had to be People recast. ignore everything I said for the last two <laughs> minutes. Yes. But it's, I mean, it, it was great. A, I loved it. It is a valid point because they are, um, well, they you are know, cuter. Yeah, but I mean, it, you know, I mean, I don't know. I don't think, I don't think Shelly Khan, I mean, I think Shelly Khan is great, but I mean, I don't think Anna Maxwell Martin is anything to like shake a stick at. Like, I just don't like No, like, yeah. <laughs> and, and it, it wasn't so. my personal tastes. It felt like a production note where if there's going to be a love story, reek cast the character you know like a yeah, like a second season of bewitched or whatever but i mean um, who knows it yeah. could be that way but right. i don't i don't think so i mean she's not uh you know uh yeah I, I don't know and to me to be honest with you my stupid memory i didn't even notice until like i don't know until they really pointed it out a couple times and i was like oh okay but it didn't i wasn't i didn't have that other actress's face or image in my head sure. so but you had seen it just the the you know right before right no we had so, recently watched it yeah so that would so be that's... that would be a little bit more jarring i would think um when whenever Absolutely. there's a cast change like that of course well the other thing too is um we had three characters three actors who were in prominent roles or maybe not necessarily prominent roles in the first season one who are back but completely different roles yes and that's perfectly fine i mean we're Doctor Who fans. I mean, if if it's, it if it's nothing but recasting <laughs> yeah. a character, it's like, yeah, oh, you're a background actor. Yeah, yeah. One and now you're the doctor. It's a, it's a right, small it island. We get it. Right, right, right. Sure. There's only twelve people who who, who act there. So yeah, I uh, I I understand that. And and yeah, I think yeah, this is a much, in a way, simpler story than the first one. It's not like the 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 stakes aren't there, um, but there's a lot of moving parts to this. Um, the the cast is smaller overall. I will say, and the flashbacks were, I, 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 yeah, I want to talk about those in a minute, but um, 
But I think what I was going to say, somebody mentioned about, you know, the difference between heaven and hell and everything. And I do find all of that imagery fascinating. I find it interesting that heaven is this sort of like, you know, corporate office that's really empty. It's almost like, yeah, we can't like, like, there's not a lot of people coming into heaven. Meanwhile, you go to hell and they're understaffed. It's crazy dirty down there. I mean, Obviously, you expect it, the, the conditions to be pretty bad down there. But, I mean, it's 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 to a new level. It's like Terry Gilliam, like, on steroids bad, right? Yeah, like, <laughs> it's, it's incredibly very good describing it. Yes. <laughs> but, and that's because even, you know, when they found the matchbook in heaven, yeah. they were like, a physical object is here? You know, yeah. they, 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 they were they, shocked. Yeah. yeah, and there's like, yeah, it seems like there's only like a few people up there. I will say that sometimes it seemed like uh, maybe all of those players were really maybe overly dim. On both sides, truthfully. Absolutely. On both sides, which made it, which made it a bit difficult for me to, in this time around to take the evil, like the Hellions, especially their attack seriously. I mean, I know it's not like, you know, uh, uh, really going to be an intense like you know when the walking dead was really good or anything like that but you know it did seem like i i never really felt like our people were in danger at all and and uh and that's okay i mean it's it's not the point of this but i did feel like you know you guys have the scene like for example the scene where she tries to rally the legion and it's not really legion but it's you know the one guy keeps and that guy kept reappearing like over like (laughs) Over and over and over again. Many times I thought he was destroyed, and then he kept like popping up again over and over. I was like, "Wow!" He got destroyed the same way last season. The- yeah, that was in the first season too. But yeah. I, I think that like that was, you know, that that scene, that sequence, like really didn't work for me as much. The one with the, you know, where she's trying to rally the troops and everything. I thought that went on a little long, and it was just like, eh. um, not to not to fault Miranda Richardson because I think she was amazing in this uh she was almost all the acting was was top-notch in this Mm -hmm. very much so yeah i mean i have to say episode four with the zombies was my least favorite episode yes and it just dragged on for me and the joke got old and i'm not a huge fan of zombies anyway it's kind of a one note (laughs) thing they've been so overdone Uh, yeah i mean especially these days yes and and so it's like, oh, yeah, part of him fell off. It's not funny anymore. <laughs> it was barely funny in the beginning. So it just, yeah, that, that whole, I'm, I'm, I'm going to rewatch Good Omens 2 many, many times again, I am sure. And I'm going to be perfectly fine with skipping over episode <laughs> four because it's not going to lose anything if I do that. But you don't want to <laughs> oh. see Mark Gatiss again? Come on. <laughs> yeah, I don't need to see Mark Gatiss again. Let me, if I may, I'd like to jump on that comment, Mary, because I feel like one, I think um, Douglas McKinnon is a phenomenal director and I I think it's very well done across the board. I think if there's anything to complain about in this, it's, it's the script and maybe not so much that Neil Gaiman's ideas, but I don't feel like it was six episodes worth of ideas. I think it was very much two episodes worth of ideas with a lot of really good flashbacks um, kind of placed in which i feel tonally never really matched and felt all over the place however what i tune in for is to watch tenant and sheen talking with one another and interacting throughout history and and you know kind of gleefully poking at religion in general um so that's fine i enjoyed it but i didn't like it nearly as much because i didn't feel it was a cohesive uh story um like mike said no you know no real stakes uh but at the same time it would travel in one direction and then it would go to a flashback and then there would be a scene that was too long and then there'd be another flashback, which maybe didn't really feed the overall narrative. Um, there were a couple of flashbacks that I thought were superb, but the the Nazis one was eh, a little, it, it wasn't just, really for me. Yeah, I mean, that it, it was like middle episode-itis. It's like in any miniseries, the episode that's right in the middle is usually the worst one <laughs> because it because it's a filler episode even when we're doing sure. even when we're reviewing our classic doctor who episodes no, um, you yeah. know quite a lot of the time uh like they suffer from middle episode stories that could be you know four yes. very easily 
Well, most of those six episode stories are a two episode story and a four episode story that's very thinly tied together. That's just kind of how classic Who was written. Um, Mike, you had mentioned the the flashback with Job. Yep. I mean, we we got Peter Davison, you know, like tenant step uh, father in law coming in there, which you know, there's enough jokes within that. Tenant's kid is in in that episode as well as one of the kids which is you know you don't have to know that but if you do it's kind of like oh that's that's pretty cool those mm-hmm. are really great actually i really like um crowley with kids uh it's very funny um <laughs> the small one who wanted to be turned into a blue lizard was just adorable, adorable. i know <laughs> it was like there were so many times it's like oh he's a great guy no no i'm not i'm an evil demon you know <laughs> and it it's just and Tenet plays it so well. And he got to use his Scottish accent even a little bit. Yes. <laughs> well, he can use his Scrooge McDuck accent. Yeah. Which is even in particular like really kind of fun because it's so over the top. No, yeah, I'm... that um that was that the episode before the I think that's the episode before the zombie one, though. The one where they're they're split up, you know, uh Azarefa goes to um what is it? Uh, Edinburgh. Uh, Edinburgh, Edinburgh, right? And uh, uh, that present stuff didn't like when they were separated. For some reason, it just didn't work as well for me. But we had this huge like flashback of them, uh, you know, with the the grave robbers and all that in, in Edinburgh and all that, and building up that, and 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 of course, you know, uh, that was that was more. I kept thinking there was going to be some sort of like you know, Victor Frankenstein thing or something going on there, whatever. But, uh, <laughs> um, not quite, not quite, but uh, it was, that was an interesting uh, follow-up story, I think, you know, to the Joe one. story too, but, and it, I loved, in the only part of the present time, though, I loved was when, you know, basically you had Aziraphil driving the car, like under the speed limit. <laughs> yeah. probably was like, are you driving it under the speed limit? You know, and, then he had painted it yellow also. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yes. And, and the car liked it, which was even better. <laughs> yeah, well, of course, it was Crowley's car. He was going to love a Xerophel. Of course. It's part May of Crowley. Boot my own horn here for a moment. So I'm watching that episode. This is episode three that we're talking about, right. which is called I Know Where I'm Going. Um, about two weeks before watching that episode, I watched a film from 1945 called I Know Where I'm Going, uh, which is a kind of screwball comedy, takes place in Scotland. And there is a moment, it's a Pressburger and Power, Powell film, someone who I should have known about much longer ago. But if you haven't seen A Matter of Life and Death, which is also called Stairway to Heaven in the United States, which is uh, about a, an angel essentially working um, – a, a trick on a human being who who should have died and fell in love and now needs to go to heaven. And the argument is whether they should go. It's it's really worth – a lot of the DNA for what we're getting in Good Omens is in that movie. Clearly, Douglas that. McKinnon is a huge fan of their work because there is a direct visual gag that was stolen from that movie, which is they go through a train from – um, England into Scotland and it becomes this kind of weird the, the the rolling hills look like tartans and are plaids and we get the same thing in just this brief moment so I wrote to McKinnon and I asked um, is this a direct reference to I know where I'm going and he's like the episode is called I know where I'm going of course it's a direct reference to it, but I'm really glad that you got it because no one else had made that connection yet. So um, I was just really happy um, having – it wouldn't have happened had I not watched the movie like literally weeks before that episode. Very nice. But it's nice when you get to see a director um, pay homage to something that really means to them, something to them. And and I'm really glad that this series is able to um, you know have the same director for all the episodes because there is a – uh sort of continuity that's there um you don't feel like anything is feels vastly out of place um and uh i mean it really does feel like like a lot of uh streaming shows do the short ones anyway it feels like a long movie rather than it does a a, an episode by episode series um and uh so I, i do appreciate that too um 
Good call. I hadn't made that connection. It's been a while since I've seen either one of those movies, but now that you mentioned them, I'm like, yep, I, I could see where, uh, yeah, that, that's an influence. That's an influence. Um, so, uh, wow. And, uh, got influenced, Powell got influenced on, uh, Barbie with red, uh, with red shoes, got influenced, uh, with Barbie too. So man, we're, we're coming back, bringing him back. <laughs> yeah, tales of hoffman lined up to, to watch relatively soon yeah, yeah, yeah. um sure. if anyone's interested in either of one of those um youtube has criterion has put published on youtube really clean prints of both um a matter of life and death and i know where i'm going so you can just go in and watch them for free they're excellent excellent films the 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 pressburger and power known as the archers um, something new to me, but I've I've been trying to watch more films I hadn't seen before. This is not a podcast about movies I watch, so never mind. Uh, you know what? We'll just go ahead. And- <laughs> no, it's good. And- it's good stuff. I mean, it really is. And uh, yeah, um, and I'm a big TCM fan, and they show those movies a bit too. So, oh, um, I'm sure they they would have to. Yeah. yeah. So, um, all right, Mary, what's something else about the series that uh, you wanted, to, either good or bad, that you wanted to bring to uh, attention? Well, let's talk about the ending. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, let's do it. Um, about the ending. Because because the ending is is a controversial thing. And uh e- even in uh back <laughs> back as we go back into the queer community, um it's a controversial thing because they get there and then they don't get there. <laughs> it's immediately there's the big kiss and then it's immediately kind of cut off. And uh, Zarafel goes his way and Crowley goes his way. And um, there have been arguments that that kind of undercuts um, the queer representation. I disagree with that because I think it's it was a realistic thing to happen for the characters. Because Aziraphale, I think, is still overcoming um, being an angel. He's still, he see, he's, he's still kind of black and white. I don't he's think having he's quite troubles. Come out yet. Yeah, he's having. He's still quite moralistic, e- even after. That's why we had the flashback with the grave robbers to kind of show him <laughs> that um, you know things aren't always quite that black and white. And he's still learning, and he is learning, but um, but he hasn't quite got there yet. And um, he's still very trusting, uh, even even when he knows that perhaps he shouldn't be. He wants to believe in the good. And so, yeah, I thought that was, it's a very interesting moral uh, thing, moral point of view to explore. And I'm glad, I'm glad that uh, Neil Gaiman did not take the easy way out and is is going to explore this further. And um, even if we just get a novel out of it, but I really hope we get a season three because I really want to see it. Yeah, I, I, I agree. If I, if this was the end, if this we knew there was going to be no more or whatever, then yeah, I could see where that does feel like a bit of a cheat at the end, or or mm-hmm. people could feel cheated about the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, and it's really not very satisfying either. I think they they have to continue. I mean, and it, it's apparent to me that Neil and company want to continue uh, by by putting this ending there. Yeah, one way to get your third season greenlit is to end on a cliffhanger. Oh, exactly, your second season. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I'm I'm sure that was probably a little bit calculated, which is fine because I really want <laughs> a, a third season. So you know, you go, Neil. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Oh, what about you, Mike? Anything else that you want to bring up? Well, or you, you want to reflect on the ending as well? No, the ending. It was interesting. As soon as I saw, you know, the Metrotron there, and it was just like, oh something big is going to be happening because they brought God into this. You know, they brought, you know, I would have loved to have seen, I would have loved to have seen Francis McDormand, you know. Sure, but I mean, come on, Derek Jacoby is pretty much an acting God. Like, oh. like at this point, like, <laughs> I mean, there, you know, so it's it's like, yeah, that's, that, that in and of itself, just the casting has so much weight to it, right? It was, but it was interesting too, because the other angels didn't recognize him. And, that I found was interesting, and and I loved, you know, Crowley who said, "Oh, the last time I saw you, you were a big floating head," you know, and so it was, it was very didn't, see, didn't recognize him with a body. No, but you know, I'm glad the it took you know 
the other couple, even though they're not a couple yet, the, you know, the coffee shop and the record store girls and, you know, to, you know, let, you know, open Crawley's eyes, you know, you, you've been blind to this. You guys are a couple. You act like a couple, you guys. And, you know, and it's like, we're not ready to get together because I don't want her to be a rebound. And that is so realistic too. And that was pretty awesome about it and everything. And I'm, I loved how it ended. And cause you know, it gets, it's like, Oh my God, I can't wait. Book form, trade paperback, comic or a TV show. I'll watch, you know, season. I think three. Neil says yes to all three. Oh, of course yeah. he does. Yes. Of course he does. <laughs> and, the, and the cool thing with it though is you get, you know, you know, Neil's already said if, he does a season three. That's it. They're not going any further past that. That's fair. I think that's fair too. I think I think that's perfect. You know, the story needs to have an end. So, so well, before yeah. we uh, before we kick out of here, I definitely also want to mention, and I probably should have mentioned her sooner, but um, I, I can't go talking about this series without. Uh, for me, almost the stole the show for me. And newcomer to me anyway, I don't think she's done much, but Quaylen Sipovita, I think is her last name. I hope I didn't mispronounce that. Who played Muriel. Oh, uh, I, my goodness. Yeah. She, just, constable. she, yes, <laughs> the constable, yes. she was, she was, like I said, she almost stole every scene she was in. Um, and, uh, so great at conveying this sort of like young, innocent, uh, person that uh or being really that i i definitely see that if or think that if we're doing a third season like she needs to be part of that as well um especially to see how she grows because it's a neil character they're not going to stay the way they are no. <laughs> Neil Gaiman oh. doesn't keep characters the way they are like it, okay. they're just something that they they grow they grow um uh one way or another so, uh, but I'm really interested to see, I guess she's currently, or she was in the series, Man Who Fell to Earth, uh, the adaptation of that movie. So I need to check that out because I'm kind of curious to see her other work now, but man, uh, everybody else was, was really, you know, I think on top notch as well, but for a newcomer to come in and, and do that, I thought was pretty spectacular. Yeah. I have a feeling she's probably going to have maybe even a big part in the third season because she's, she's the one who's left in charge of the bookshop. Yep. And you can you can already see a little bit how it's changing her, how yep. being involved in this has changed her. And, and so, yeah, it would be lovely course, to see her journey. Of course. How do you learn and how do you grow? Neil Gaiman, read books. <laughs> exactly. And she's surrounded by them. Exactly. So, so I think it's, it's going to be awesome. So, uh, yeah, I don't think there's any doubt. We all want a season three. Mm -hmm. Let me also bring up one other character I thought. Um, you had Liz Carr as Sacruel, and she is a disabilities actress. Mm, mm -hmm. And I thought the inclusion of her character as one of the angels was wonderful. I thought it was she was very, very well inclusive and very well done. You know, mm -hmm. as you know, I found her more riveting to watch than I did Michael or the other angel. She, mm. this one was more interesting and I loved how she recognized Crawley right away. It was like, Oh, you're back, Crawley. And he says, Oh, I know you. And it's like, Oh yeah, we designed the horseshoe manipula together. Oh, did we? Oh, so many faces that I, you know, <laughs> it's like typical Crawley, which is pretty awesome. But I, I just appreciated that they did something like that and made it inclusive. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. So, all right. Well, I mean, that kind of wraps up our talk for season two. Um, fingers crossed that when the smoke clears on all this stuff that's going on with the actor strike, the writer strike, et cetera, et cetera, that one of the first things that comes out of this is that there's going to be a season three. Um, so, uh, and if so, we'll be back to talk about it. So, um, hopefully it won't be that long until we have a Drew pack. <laughs> because <laughs> uh, it's been awesome to have you back with us as well uh, but we're going to take a quick break and when we get back we're going to close out the show every day it's getting closer going faster than a roller coaster love like yours will surely come my way 
Hi, this is Ashley Pauls with this week's Box Office Buzz for what is pretty much, for all intents and purposes, the last big movie of summer blockbuster season. And what a wild time it has been. Barbenheimer still continues to reign supreme. And I just think that it's going to be a lot of fun to look back and analyze the summer movie season, what it all means, all the crazy stuff that happens. But have a couple more movies still yet to come. One of these is the latest movie in the DC Cinematic Universe, Blue Beetle. I have no idea what to think about this film. I mean, the trailers do look fun, but you have the situation where the Flash way underperformed earlier this summer. I have a feeling that unfortunately, whether this movie is good or not, audiences are probably just going to kind of disregard it, wait till streaming by this point, everybody is waiting to see what James Gunn is going to do with Superman and with the reboot. And so, unfortunately, it's late August. I don't think this film is going to do too much. I would love to be proven wrong, especially if it is a good movie, which, again, like the trailers look fun. But I don't know that there's a lot of hope for this one to break out at the box office. There also is a movie called Strays, which is a movie about dogs, which is sort of like an adult R-rated version of kids' classics like Homeward Bound, where you have talking animals. This one's not necessarily my cup of tea, but will be interesting to see how it does. I mean, Barbie was a comedy, did super well. People are looking for something kind of new and different, and I could see this kind of playing on people's nostalgia, like, oh, for all those animal movies I watched as a kid, but this is, an, this is one for grown-ups. So I'll be curious to see how it goes. In terms of streaming, we're coming up on Ahsoka soon on Disney+. Plus. Super hyped for that one. Hoping that it's going to be good. So yeah, we will have plenty to keep us busy. In theory, it's not. I'm not sure what's going to be happening with the writers' um, strike going on in Hollywood. We may see some of these big ticket blockbusters get pushed to next year. It's hard to tell at this point. But um, we'll just hang on for the ride and be thankful for the content we do get to see. If you're looking for more entertainment-related content, be sure to check out my blog over on the ESO Podcast website. I'm Drew Leiter. And I'm Cletus Jacobs. And we're inviting you to join us as we delve into the dawn of the DC. We'll be reviewing new titles such as The Unstoppable Doom Patrol, Shazam, Green Lantern, Titans, Justice Society of America, and more. We'll also be reviewing DC Television's final season of The Flash, Titans and Doom Patrol. Join us every week on the Earth Station DCU Podcast, part of the ESO Network. Hey everybody, Michelle here with an iconic rock talk show moment. Last Wednesday, August 9th, Taylor Swift was on stage in LA wrapping up the LA stand for Era's tour and she made an announcement from the stage. It's kind of like in WWE when somebody comes back from an injury and everybody already really knows but she announced that Taylor's version of the 1989 album will drop on October 27th, nine years to the day after its original release. If you're kind of like me and you're not really clued into Taylor Swift, that is the album with Shake It Off. People were excited, and the streaming for the version that's currently available on Spotify more than doubled. It went from about $6 million to a little more than $14 million. And that is per day. And that is why Taylor Swift, from a service that pays fractions, hundredths of a penny per stream, and complains that artists are overcompensated, that's why she can make a guesstimated $8 million per month on streaming. Her figures aren't publicized. That's, that's an estimate. It may not be quite right, but she can make buku money where so many artists can't. And it's an amazing superpower. And superpowers, maybe that is why she is being rumored to play Dazzler in Deadpool 3 next May. We'll have to see. But she does have another superpower that she is using for good. She is donating generously to food banks in every city that she is playing on this tour. Her donation to the Arizona Food Bank Network let them buy 40,000 pounds of fresh produce to distribute to their member food banks. And it also boosted programs for school meals and senior citizen food stamps. One in six people in this country uses a food bank, at least from time to time. And the, the need has arisen in 
2023 because uh, programs that were put in place during the pandemic are being phased out. Um, her donations have prompted her fans to donate in kind, so the awareness and the and the funds are just just staggering. So, give it a little thought. Think about if if you were touring, and you could pull in the people that Taylor Swift pulls in. Who would you give your money, and more importantly, your megaphone to? And we don't have Taylor Swift's funds, most of us, I don't think, but. Give, give your cause a megaphone. Respond on the ESO Facebook page or on their Instagram or email. Mike Faber will give you the address. And let the world know where you would like attention and maybe some cash to shine. Let's see what we can spread around. This has been the Iconic Rock Talk Show Moment, and we'll catch you next time. Good afternoon. May we be of assistance, sir? Yes, I'm looking for a podcast for someone who likes that 1960s headache music. Don't these podcasters have atrocious taste? Sir, may I recommend this podcast by Monkeying Around? I guarantee a migraine. I never heard of Monkeying Around. You never heard of Monkeying Around? He's, He's never, never heard, heard of, of monkeying, monkeying Around. What does Monkeying Around sound like? <laughs> I'll take it. He took it? He took it. Monkeying Around, a podcast about the monkeys. Welcome to A Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela, and this week, this geek girl is talking about convention etiquette. So I've already talked about preparing for your convention and all that you need to do for that. Well, let's talk about etiquette at cons, since sometimes people aren't sure or they're too nervous to ask some stuff or really know what to do. We can start with a big one. Cosplay is not consent. Do not touch someone you don't know. If you want a photo, just go ask politely, and most people are happy to do a photo with you or of just themselves. However, if you see a cosplayer sitting, eating, then maybe wait to ask them. If you're afraid that you might not see them again, just pop up and say, hey, do you have an Instagram or do you have a card with your social medias on it? And a lot of times, most cosplayers now have those, so they're happy to give that to you so you can just go on your merry way. And plus, if a cosplayer is eating or they're sitting down resting, they need a breather too, because most conventions are hot and costumes make them hotter. Arrive to panels early to get in line. Many, depending on cons, will have a line to get into the big panels or the smaller, more popular ones. So knowing that showing up right when the panel starts doesn't mean you'll get in. Planning ahead will make it so your time will go smoother and you won't be disappointed for missing stuff. It also just makes the panels run smoother since people are in a nice orderly line and ready to get in instead of a big mob of people that are waiting you know, right at the door. And while this one is common sense, please throw your trash away in the bins or places where they're supposed to be thrown away at. And don't just leave it lying around for others, mainly the hotel staff to clean up. First off, it's really rude. And second, many hotels are short staffed, so making them have to do extra work makes it incredibly frustrating to them. And it makes them dislike fandom conventions a whole lot because of the people attending not cleaning up after themselves or just making a mess of the hotel in general. In the dealer's room and common areas, please be aware of your surroundings. Make sure you aren't running into people, or if you're in a large costume, that the parts of your costume aren't hitting people, which I know can be tough, but be aware of your surroundings since someone could get hurt. This is also more of a safety thing than an etiquette thing, but my friends and I will often have um, a weird word or a strange word that we can use to get us out of situations that seem unsafe or make us uncomfortable. Or even if one of us has a bad migraine and we just need to leave and be somewhere quiet. Once this is said, we make up a reason to leave the situation and get out of there and to a safer or quieter place. Well, thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. that's going to wrap up another episode of the earth station one podcast i want to thank everyone for joining us drew it's been great having you back on the show my friend thank you yeah i'm excited to be back yep it is awesome we got to have you back more than you know every like quarter of a you know decade <laughs> <laughs> so anything you want to promote or anything or shout out about 
sure. We've mentioned Doctor Who a couple of times on here. So if you want to hear me talk about Doctor Who, I have a Doctor Who podcast with my friend Brent Johnson called Who and Company, where every month we bring on a guest and discuss Doctor Who, their lives, how they're um, connected to Doctor Who, um, and a television show that may or may not have anything to do with Doctor Who. Past guests include Douglas McKinnon, the director of uh, Good Omens. So yeah, that's a pretty particularly fun episode pretty to awesome. listen to. Um, yeah, I'm also on the Doctor Who podcast out of the UK. It's an international one, so I'm, I'm on that there once a month. Um, and if you like role-playing games and movies, I have one called Never Say Die with my friend Rish Telch, where we uh, discuss a movie and then talk about how you can gamify that to capture the spirit of the movie, regardless of the system that you're playing in. Oh, that sounds awesome. That sounds really good. It's really fun. That's very cool. And we'll have links to it up on our show notes so we can check it out. And Ms. Mary Ogle, thank you as always being with us. Oh, thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun to talk about. Anything you want to shout out or promote? Uh, well, everyone can find me on Earth Station Who, talking about Doctor Who with my two good friends. And uh, if you would like to see more of my artwork, I just put some new paintings up on my website. And you can find me at maryogle.com or on Etsy at eVision Arts. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Um, Mr. Mike, we've made it through another one, my friend. We did, and as always, it's my pleasure. Anything you want to shout out about? Uh, yeah, well, I want to, um, you know, I know a lot of people are, you know, some people look at the news, some people don't, uh, but uh, if people haven't been paying attention, uh, there's some uh, uh, pretty devastating things going on in Maui. Uh, with the wildfires and everything like that. And a lot of times when stuff like this happens, people wonder, where can I, you know, how can I help? What, 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 what places can I, can I send money to or, or support that uh, are not like going to rip people off and they're going to the right places or whatever. So uh, there's a couple links uh, that I'm going to put on the show notes. One is for the Maui Strong Fund. And that was to, created to uh, provide community resilience with resources. Uh, so for the, um, uh, the people there, the communities there, also the Maui Food Bank uh, is accepting donations as well. Uh, of course, there's the Hawaii Red Cross and the, and the Maui United Way. They both have set up disaster relief donation pages. And last but certainly not least, uh, the Maui Humane Society, because uh, not only people, but animals have been displaced and are seeking shelter. Um, so uh, I'm going to post links to all those places. So feel free to, uh, you know, um, support them any way you can, because uh, these people really need some help right now. Awesome. Awesome. They do need help. And folks, it is, you know, such horror, the devastation that happened in Maui and everything, you know, most, you know, most of the islands, they do get, you know, brush fires and such, but it was like almost like the perfect storm because there, a hurricane was passing by it and the winds from it actually fed into the fire. And there was a lot of human error too that led into this. And it's just devastating what happened. And, you know, we'll have links, of course, in the show notes, like Mike said, and we will, you know, definitely try to help however we can. And, you know, if anyone who is listening to us in Hawaii, and I know we do have listeners there, I hope you guys are safe. That's, you know, what we all can hope for. So definitely, I'm going to, I'm not going to, I'm going to end it there. I'm not going to do my shout out or whatever, because, you know, hey, I've been watching a new TV show or something like that. No, just after what's been going on, you know, it doesn't seem right. So let's leave it at there tonight. Um, of course, you know, thank you guys as always who everyone who's been listening, everyone who's been, you know, a happening, you know, with the show and it's just, it's just great. You know, our numbers are going up constantly. Thank you for everyone who's been dealing and supporting us on some of the format changes we've done to the show for a while. We went to every two weeks, but we're back to now just once a week and you know what? We're at a good place. We are at a really good place. And thank you, everyone who's been sticking with us with this. You know, it's just been a lot of fun. And we've got a lot of great shows coming your way. Hell, we're planned already into the next year already for shows. So, you know, it's not like we don't like uh, doing this kind of stuff. And you know what? That's the best part about it. We have so much good stuff coming through here. And we are just, you know, 
just having a great time. Remember, though, you can, you know, if you want to write us, please write us feedback at our station one.com. Definitely would love to hear from you guys. If you want to, you know, get some ESO network swag, we got an amazing, you know, T public store that Mary and I have been putting together. And Mary's been uploading all the files and getting logos and designs and wacky ideas that I come up with and I send her, what about this one? And she goes, no, no, we'll get sued for trademark on that one. You know, stuff like that. So definitely check out, check out our T-Public store. You can just type in ESO Network or Earth Station One. You'll come to our stuff. Also, if you want to help support us, of course, there's the ESO Network Patreon, where you can help us for as little as a dollar a month. Not too shabby. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash ESO Network. Definitely would love to have more of you guys up there. And it's a way of us keeping even closer contact and stuff. Of course, as we like to say, we can be found anywhere fine podcasts are found. You can find our station one there. There's so many different things. And with the fall of Stitcher, you know, we're elsewhere. So you can definitely find us and you could find us up on now up on. I think we are. I think we are now up on Sirius XM. You can find us through there. So, you know, I think that's the big leagues. Okay, maybe not. But, you know. We're up there, so you, I think that took its place, and it's good. And we're also up on Pandora now, also. So definitely find our station one up there. Also, if you want, you know, subscribe wherever you're doing it, and also like and subscribe if you're listening to us on YouTube. That's the best way to do it. You know, there's a nice little button right down there that says subscribe. You know, we're not going to push it too much. Yes, we will. Who am I saying? We're of course we're going to push. <laughs> this is our station one. So definitely like and subscribe. Ring the bell if you get a chance. And with that, we are done for the night. I'm going to go and just chill, and we're going to watch maybe Good Omens again. I think we need to watch it a second time, third time, fourth time, fifth time. You know, there's nothing else on TV. Come on. We can only need to watch that. So definitely, folks, thank you guys for joining us. We'll see you here next time on our Station One. Peace, and we are done. Later, Gators. Bye. You've been listening to the Air Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Air Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our Tee Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.